Happy New Year and welcome to This Week on Broadway for Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. My name is Matt Tamanini on the broadcast today. I am joined by Jenna Tessa Fox and Jennifer McHugh. Jenna has been writing about theater for many years for numerous publications, including Playbill Magazine, BroadwayWorld.com, Time Out New York, and HowlRound.com. She's a member of the League of Professional Theater Women and has her own podcast here on Broadway Radio that, and these are her words, not mine, she really <laughs> needs to update more often. I did not say that, Jenna. You wrote that, so I'm not... I did. I okay. did see right. this is this is how my like New Year's resolution and <laughs> to put it out there holding me to it. More episodes of Spotlight in this feed. You can find Jenna on Twitter at Jenna Tessa. That's J-E-N-A-T-E-S-S-E. Now, Jennifer, not to be confused with Jenna, lives in Los Angeles and currently writes TV and movie features for Collider.com. She graduated from Cootstown University in Pennsylvania. Did I get that pronunciation right, Jen? No, you did not. Damn it. Cutstown. It's Cutstown. My God, man. I thought she... Yes, it's Dutch. Dutch. You're Dutch. Anyway, um, she has a degree in musical theater, and in California, she has directed productions of Les Miserables, Into the Woods, The Who's, Tommy, and more. Jennifer is on Twitter at EponineQ. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. She also co-hosts Broadway Radio, Some Like It Pop. Her co-host is a horrible uh, sludge of a human being. But Jen brings that podcast up and she happily jumps in on today on Broadway whenever she gets the call. And there might be more to come from her in the future in this podcast feed if we can ever get our ducks in a row. So as you all hopefully recognize by this point that you're hearing this, hopefully you're not just now waking up and realizing what year it is. We have turned the calendar page from 2021 and are now officially in 2022, and as last year was miserable in many ways, with the occasional joyous respites, of course, we wanted to start the new year by discussing the theater and theater-adjacent things that we are most excited about in 2022. These can be productions, performances, events, books, adaptations, personal milestones, anything that gets us excited about the theatrical landscape in the new year. We each have identified five things that we are excited for, and we're going to go around and discuss them. Um, So, Jenna, why don't you start us off with your first one? Uh, Well, I'm really excited about the increase in diverse voices on Broadway uh, from this season that's carrying over into 2022. I'm particularly excited about Paradise Square. Um, this is it, truly original musicals that are not an adaptation of a pre-existing work are very rare. And, you know, under any circumstances, I'm a huge fan of Moises Kaufman, Craig Lucas, Bill T. Jones, Masi Asare. So this one is really high on my list. Uh, I'm also very interested to see how Broadway will welcome Garth Drabinsky back as a producer after, what, 20 years Uh his company, Livent, was behind a lot of hits from uh, the 1990s and even the late 80s. Uh, it's a very different industry now, so I'm eager to see if this show will restore his reputation and what that take, will look like. That's going to take a that's a heavy lift, Jenna, to it, restore yeah. Garth Drabinsky's reputation. I, you know, I, it, 
I've only read about what happened. I, I was certainly not involved in that side of the business back then, but just reading about it is fascinating. And I'm very interested to see how that works and what will happen. Um, you know, the show's premise is also very intriguing. It follows Irish immigrants and Black Americans in New York City during the Civil War and the start of the draft riots. So I'm very interested to see. Uh, I'm excited to see it as a history nerd, as a lover of original musicals, and as a fan of Garth Drabinsky's earlier productions and as a fan of the creative team. So uh, previews start February 22nd at the Barrymore. And uh, yeah, I want to be there. Yeah, it's very interesting how many overlaps that this production has with, um, in my mind, Drabinsky's biggest artistic hit, uh, Ragtime. Obviously, we know that the fall of Livent and all of the shady financing that he was doing actually led to an early closure of Ragtime on Broadway in its original run. Um, but this feels like at least a spiritual offspring uh, of, of Ragtime. And if it makes it to New, to New York, it didn't have the most successful critical or commercial run in, in Chicago. So if it does end up keeping those dates that you mentioned, Jen, it'll be very interesting to follow what happens with this one. It will. I hope I hope so. I really hope it's good. I'm, I'm like I said, I keep saying I'm excited, but I'm really excited. You know, yeah. every now and then I walk by the 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 what is the theater? It is uh, what theater is it now? The Lyric? It was the uh, the American. Yeah, it, no, it was the Ford's the theater. Ford Center yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And it's had like 15 different names over the past week. But, um, you know, every now and then I still walk by there and just get angry that Ragtime still isn't running there because, God, I love that show. I, uh, me as well. That's, I saw that original production with the original cast on my very first trip to New York oh. back in 1998, April 1998, oh, I goodness. believe. So uh, very fond memories of that one. Yeah, so, all right. Awesome. So starting off with the diverse voices on Broadway and specifically Paradise Square for you. Uh, Jen, what do you have uh, for your first thing you're looking forward to? Well, obviously this is COVID pending, um, but I am in Los Angeles and we have a couple major theaters here. One of them is the Center Theater Group. And I was really excited about the Amundsen's season this year. Um, I think it's one of the strongest ones they've had in a long time. So I hope they all don't get canceled. Mm -hmm. But theoretically, everybody's talking about Jamie is supposed to open in a few weeks. And, and then they have the Lehman Trilogy, Town, Come From Away, Dear Evan Hansen, The Prom, and some other musical I won't talk about. Um, <laughs> it's Oklahoma. I hate it. Anyway. I love uh, Oklahoma. So we've do. argued about this for years. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if, if, you know, things look up and why not? be optimistic. Um, this could be a really, really amazing season and it's not that far away. And I'm just really hoping to be able to get back and see some of these shows. A couple of them I've seen before. I've, and I've only seen the movies of, uh, Jamie and Dear Evan Hansen. So I'm hoping that I can get to the theater to see those. Absolutely. Obviously, COVID is still going to be a major concern for all theater goers, no matter where they are. But in states like California that have been a little more stringent than some of other places, like where I am in Florida, which has absolutely no stringency whatsoever, um, it is always uh, a little bit of a crapshoot to see what the current situation is in terms of going to theaters and, and gathering in large groups. So we will wish everybody in California and Southern California, specifically with uh, the Center Theater Group, uh, the best of luck and see 
seeing those shows. Um, mine is 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 kind of a mix of both personal and a, a more widespread thing, and I'm kind of combining two things. So um, if you are somebody who loves musical theater and especially was moved by the loss of Stephen Sondheim, um, there is a book that is not necessarily about Sondheim, but is about Sondheim's work, um, and at least in part, that will be coming out on March 1st, and that is a new book called Jim and Yanni, which is written by uh, yes. theater writer and historian Margaret Hall. Um, if you want to follow her on Twitter, she's at It's Margaret Hall. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that book. I have it pre-ordered already, but I am also taking Margaret's um, virtual one-on-one -on -one class about Stephen Sondheim. She offers this occasionally throughout the um, throughout the year. It's her Stephen Sondheim intensive. She has a small group of people that she sets up times with one-on-one. -on -one. It's three consecutive weeks. Um, she just sent me the curriculum um, uh, yesterday, or I guess earlier in the week, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and I'm not going to get into it because you've got to pay to be a part of it. But she goes through all of his works, talks about his influences, links, uh, provides links to songs and videos to kind of go through and familiarize herself. And I will say, I obviously know quite a bit um, of of things, you know, about Sondheim's personal life and its history. I've read um, Finishing the Hat and Look, I Made a Hat and many other books about Sondheim. But there are still gaps in in my uh, in my knowledge. I don't know a ton about um, Passion. I've never seen a production of Passion. I, I've never seen a production of, of of Little Night Music either, although I've seen the documentary about the concert production. So I'm very excited to kind of learn about both of these men more, um, obviously Paul Gemignani and and Stephen Sondheim um, from Margaret Hall in two very different ways, but both things that I am very, very much looking forward to in 2022. Uh, all right, Jenna, what do you have next? Uh, next on mine, uh, continuing the trend, uh, Strange Loop is coming back to New York. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, it was one of the best shows I saw in 2019. Uh, I'm really thrilled that Michael R. Jackson's musical is finally coming to Broadway. Uh, you know, I got to see it off Broadway where it was a very intimate and intense examination of one man's place and multiple communities. And I don't know how well it will play in a bigger house and if it will hold on to that intimacy. But, you know, I've said that about In the Heights. I said that about Hamilton and I was wrong both times. So <laughs> I'm really hoping I'll be be as good as it was at Playwrights Horizons. Um, I loved Larry Owen's performance off Broadway. Um, last I heard, I mean, have you heard any differently? The Broadway cast hasn't been announced yet, has it? Larry Owens is not going to be a part of this production. He is not part of the group that is performing at Woolly Mammoth currently in Washington, D.C. And is, that is the group that will be bringing it, it to Broadway be. short okay. of anything dramatic happening. So okay. Larry Owens has sure. moved on. Yeah, uh, that's that's well, I mean, I wish I could have gotten down to D.C. to see the Woolly Mammoth production. I've heard wonderful things. Uh, I'm sorry I won't get to see Larry Owens repeat that performance again, but I'm looking forward to seeing the new company. Uh, but, you know, for the writing alone, I would go back and see this again and again. Sure. Uh, and I don't think an opening date has been announced yet, but uh, I'm really hoping it gets here before Tony eligibility ends. When yeah. does Tony eligibility end, come to think of it? <laughs> that has not been announced. It, the the uh, Strange Loop did say that it is um, going to be opening at the Lyceum Theater early in 2022. So early. I, I okay. don't know if early means January or April, but I would assume that they will definitely get in under the Tony nomination deadline. 
I mean, time has no meaning anymore. No. So, <laughs> no, who knows at this point when it comes to the Tonys either, because they don't seem to have any idea what they're doing either way. Exactly. Uh, but you're right. You know, the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for Drama winner. Obviously, this is a show that. Um, on its merits alone, aside from performances, is worth seeing. And uh, the the majority, uh, actually, the, I believe the rest of the off-Broadway cast are, are reprising their roles in Washington, D.C., yeah. so um, should have some, some great performances that have been with the show for a long time as well. Uh, all right, Jen, I'm heading back out to the left coast. Uh, what else is on is on your list? Well, uh, one of my Christmas gifts was a subscription to the PBS Passport. Ooh, <laughs> so, that is a wonderful gift. Mm-hmm. I It's more of a resolution and a goal, but I am really excited to dig into the Great Performances Archive mm-hmm. because there are a lot of things on there that I've never seen and things that I have seen and I haven't seen in a long time. Um I know currently, you know, Kinky Boots is up there and King and I and 42nd Street. And then there's a lot of other non-Broadway performances like operas and concerts. And there's a Leah Salonga concert. And so one of the things I'm looking forward to is even when we can't leave the house, being able to bring some Broadway out here on the left coast via my television. There was a great, great performances um capture that was done by the National Theater in London of Romeo and Juliet that oh, um, yes. was released uh, what, when was that Jenna April of last of 2021 yeah um, uh, with Josh O'Connor and Jesse Buckley um, Jen who I'm sure you recognize both of those yes, people <laughs> um, they they are great and it's a really really interesting production because they took what was supposed to be an actual in-person performance and stripped it down um, and then did it around the National Theater. So it wasn't just on the stage. They did it in different backstage locations as well because they couldn't have audiences anymore. So they filmed it like a a film, but it was a quasi-rehearsal. It was It's very, very interesting, and I, I loved watching that. In fact, I think I still have it on my DVR, um, even though I have Passport as well. So um, I would highly recommend you check that one out, even though... Um, it's not a big fancy musical. It's a it's a really great production. And of course, Jen, based off of our some like a pop episode that aired on uh, on Thursday, Passport also gives you access to the entire PBS collection of the Great British Baking Show. So just throwing well, that out there as well. See, I'm just merging the two worlds. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to stick on screen and in the UK for my next one. And that is because throughout the course of 2021, we have heard news about the Netflix uh, adaptation of the musical adaptation of, of the, uh, of the classic story, Matilda. So we have heard things throughout the years about this being turned into a film. And we finally got some updates in June of 2021. It now looks like it is scheduled to be released in December of 2022. So at the end of this calendar year, um, stage director Matthew Warchus is reprising his role um, as the director there. And this is obviously the well-beloved Tim Minchin uh, musical adaptation. It is going to be starring uh, Emma Thompson as Miss Trunchbull, which is really interesting because on stage, of course, Miss Trunchbull 
um, has always been played by a woman. Rafe Fiennes was originally announced to be playing that role, but they decided to make that change, which I think for the screen is a very, very good idea. Um, and uh, it's got an, an interesting cast, not a ton of super well-known names. Lashana Lynch, who has a history in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which you know that I appreciate, um, will be in there. Um, Andrea Riseborough, who is a uh, a stage and screen actress, uh, actress from the UK is part of this cast as well. I'm a huge fan of the Matilda musical. I'm a huge fan of Tim Minchin, who has been my guest on an episode of Tell Me More in the past. Um, just such an interesting and unique uh, way to approach this material and turn it into a musical that I don't think that people were really anticipating when uh, this was announced, but it feels so authentic and um, and honors Raw Dahl's original intention. So I'm hoping that a lot of that is maintained in the screen version as a lot of the creative team from the Sage version um, is still working on it. So I've got my fingers crossed that this still comes out in December of 2022 and it lives up to the absolutely quirky weirdness that was the stage version. So, so that is my second one. Well, there and, goes my number three. Okay. Well, oh, no. You've got time to think of another one. So there you go. I'm working on it. All right. Good. And Matt, um, uh, did you say the role has traditionally been played by a woman? I'm fairly sure. No, played by man. Rafe Fines. Um, right. If I did, if I did, I misspoke. Rafe Fines okay. has been uh, was cast in, in it as right. as. Um, oh, I'm in blanking on who played it originally um, on Broadway. Bertie Carvel. Bertie Carvel. Oh yeah, my yeah. god. Car- yeah. Ca- ah, Between I the see. two of us, we'll get it figured out, Jenna. We're totally. We have. We are only have half a brain each at the beginning of the it's, year. So it's New Year's. We can't it think is. exactly. So um, all right, Jenna. So hopefully, half your brain is ready to give us your third option. All all half of it. My God, man! What do you expect <laughs> of me? Um, yeah, I've been really intrigued by the upcoming Merchant of Venice production from Theater for a New Audience. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this I have one. Not. Uh, it's a multi multi ethnic performance, which seems very exciting. But it's like shifting the focus from anti semitism to on the production's website. It says racism, misogyny, classism, and homophobia. Um, what intrigues me is that you know Merchant of Venice was written by a proudly racist and anti semitic white guy more than four hundred years ago. The script really revels in its anti-Semitism, and you know, anti-Semitism is no longer quite as popularly socially acceptable as it was in the late 15 and early 1600s, and productions have to grapple with those themes and the ways to make the characters sympathetic. Uh, but you know, anti-Semitism has not gone away. It is still very common. It's still a problem. And I really wonder how many Jewish people will be involved in this production and how director uh, Aaron Arbus will handle the anti-Jewish sentiment throughout the show while expanding it to cover other prejudices. Uh, if nothing else, I really hope the production gets people talking about classic works of art and how we interpret them today and how we grapple with values dissonance and how we apply the values from classic pieces to our own times. I mean, we revere Shakespeare in maybe some unhealthy ways, and that does include overlooking the prejudices that were very socially acceptable in his time. So maybe this conversation, uh, this conversation, this production can drive a conversation about recognizing problems from generation to generation. And if nothing else, I'm very excited to see a 
multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial cast tackle a classic piece of European theater. So performances start on February 5th at Theater for a New Audience, and I'm very intrigued to see what they do with it. Yeah, I mean, I think Theater for a New Audience has a pretty good reputation um, working with the materials they have, whether they are classic right. works or doing something like uh, like Fairview or even most recently Gannett um, from Will Eno. Um, I think they have a pretty good reputation of handling things that have complex dimensions, especially with, right. with race. So I, I feel like if anyone's going to figure out how to do this properly, I would probably trust them in terms of New York City more than just about anybody else. So I'm with you on sharing some of those concerns. But I got my fingers crossed that this one turns out pretty yeah, well. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, I've seen some very good productions of Merchant of Venice, and it's not one of my favorite plays. I'll be very upfront with that. So <laughs> pardon my coughing. So I am just very excited. Uh, and I keep saying excited, but you that's know, good. that's, what, that's this, what we're talking about. That's what it is. It is. I mean, that's what this is all about. I'm excited to see what they do with the piece. And I hope it's up there with, you know, other productions that I have liked of a play that I don't like, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I totally understand that vibe. Uh, all right, Jen, did you come up with a, uh, a replacement third option for us? I did. Um, I have an, uh, Matt has an obsession. I think we had talked about that you have an obsession with buying calendars and Funko Pops. Mm -hmm. My obsession is buying vocal selection books for musicals that oh. I've seen. Um, I do play the piano. The problem is, Ooh. is I buy them, I peruse them, and they sit in the corner gathering dust. So I recently subscribed to a podcast called Strong Songs, and this sweet gentleman breaks down music and makes you listen to it in a different way. And the, the way I got sucked into that podcast was he, he dissected Satisfied from Hamilton and oh. the wedding song from Town. So that inspired me to go back to my vocal selections and just really dig and pick apart the music. So I guess what I'm looking forward to and I'm excited about is kind of getting more into the musicality of all these musicals that I'm obsessed with instead of just the staging and the choreography. I really um, am looking forward to getting into the orchestrations uh, and praising Alex Lacamoire more than I already do. And, um, you know, dusting off some of these books and really you know, getting back to my roots and, and looking into the real music behind these musicals that I love. I have just now yes. subscribed to the podcast uh, Strong Songs because that sounds fascinating. I love yes. Song Explore, Explore, ex song. I love Song Exploder as well. So this feels like this is very much in line with that. Yeah, he's a he's a really he's one of those guys when he talks, you can tell he's smiling because he's just enjoying that. what he's doing so much. I highly recommend the Satisfied episode. And the wedding song, like I said, the one that really sucked me in was Africa by Toto. Oh my God, the way he that. broke down the harmonies and that really, um, if you're really into like the the behind the scenes of the music, it's a, it's a good, good podcast. Yeah, there's a great, I already see uh, an episode about probably one of my top two or three favorite songs of all time, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by Billy Joel. I love that. Um, You've Got a Friend from Carol King is in there. Um, some great, great stuff. So that's awesome. I appreciate you adding uh, that to my list. Oh, A Day in the Life by the Beatles. That's one of my favorites as well. So, all right, I'm going to stop looking and get back to our conversation. <laughs> but thank you for recommending that, Jen. Um, my next one is a bit of a combination. So um, 
I have a number of things already purchased for tickets to make trips up to New York this year. Um, so just in general, what those are, I got I have a subscription to Encore. So I'll be coming up for all three of those shows, which, um, of course, includes the Tap Dance Kid, The Life mm-hmm. and the Star Studded Into the Woods. I also have tickets for Black New Black No More from the new group. Um, and I also have the second set of tickets in a limited subscription um, to the Atlantic Theater Company. Company, which I will be using for um, Adam, Adam Schlesinger and Sarah Silverman's The Bedwetter. Um, so those are things that I'm coming to New York for, and I'm very excited. Of course, I will add other things. But the thing that I'm really most looking forward to in terms of New York theater is the fact that one of those Encores productions, it's The Life, happens to overlap with an already planned trip that my brother and niece have to New York. So since I was going to be there, they were going to be there. We have decided to combine trips and we are going to do this whole New York thing together. We won't necessarily see every show together because they're going to see things that I've already seen or don't want to see. And I'm going to see, obviously, plenty of things that they don't want to see. But my brother and niece, who is now 11, um, were planning on going to New York. Um, I think they were supposed to be there on March 16th of 2020. And that was a trip that I helped them plan a lot for and get tickets for and all of that stuff that was obviously canceled by the pandemic so this is kind of their replacement trip two years later my niece is now even more obsessed with musical theater and broadway and all of that stuff than she already was so we've already been strategizing and planning um, about what shows they want to see i got them tickets for hadestown um, for during their trip but we're going to um, be going to New York together and seeing some shows together. Um, we, we've already got Hamilton set as well. They're going to see six um, as well as uh, some other things that they have on their list. So I'm excited, even though my niece has been to Broadway once or twice before and seen been to the West End and they've done, done a lot of theater over the years. But I'm, I'm very excited to be able to experience this final big first, I guess, this first big return uh, to Broadway Um you know, for an entire week with her and through her eyes. So we'll be doing that in uh, around her spring break in mid-March. So very much looking forward to experiencing that with those two. Just wonderful. And I really hope I get to see you this time. Yeah, I know. It, um, schedule. I, I, I do not have any intention of working much during this one. So that will hopefully uh, happen as well. So um, what is your... And, uh, um, Matt and I have worked together for seven years now, and we have never met. <laughs> yes, but you live in California. I have never in my you know, life... I've oh, been to California. So I just think that's fascinating that I know you so well. I talk to you every day and we've never met. I know. It is very strange. We'll 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 have to fix that here in 2022 as COVID allows. Um, <laughs> so uh, all right, Jenna, what I think we are on number four. What do you have for number four? We, we are, yes. And you had mentioned Black No More uh with the new group. I am very, very excited to see this one. I haven't read George Schuyler's 1931 novel and I need to. Um, but I mean this musical, this is a new musical with the book by uh, by John Ridley, who wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. to 12 Years a Slave, music by Tariq Trotter, who's also known as Black Thought from the Roots, uh, Anthony Tidd, James Poyser, Daryl Waters, lyrics by Trotter, choreography by Bill T. Jones yet again. 
And the cast list is just jaw-dropping. Trotter is also on stage as well. He's playing the role of a scientist who invents a machine that turns Black people white. It's got Jennifer Damiano, Brandon Victor Dixon, Tamika Lawrence, who was just so wonderful in the Carolina Change revival, uh, Tracy Shane, Ephraim Sykes, uh, Howard McGillan, Lilius White. I mean, even if the subject matter weren't compelling. Yes, exactly. I mean, the cast and creative team would just make it a must-see in its own right. So I'm super excited to see that. I'm so glad you're going. And we uh, let's talk after we finish recording and figure yeah. out when you're going, because I want to go the same day and we can Perfect. we can talk all about it. Uh, it that. starts starts on what, January 11th, I think, at the Pershing Square Signature Center. Mm-hmm. And very, very hyped about this one. It looks amazing. Yeah, and I love the fact that Tariq Trotter is not even just dipping his toe in musical theater anymore, like he kind of did with Hamilton. He produced the Hamilton album and was very involved in the Hamilton mixtape albums as well. Um, But now he is not only legitimately a musical theater writer, but also a musical theater performer, which I think is fantastic for fans of The Roots, whether that's from their, you know, recording history or just, you know, people meeting them uh, via The Tonight Show. I think this is a a huge win for musical theater to have uh, such an incredible musician and artist uh, diving into our world. So very, very much looking forward to that. And adapting a classic novel. I mean, that's fantastic. This is like old school Harlem Renaissance work that somehow I did not, I'd never heard about it because Harlem Renaissance works are barely taught in uh, New Jersey public high schools. But holy crap, I'm so excited to discover this and learn more about it. And yeah, I mean, adapting anything into a musical always makes it better. So very excited to read the book and then see the musical as soon as I can. There's a few exceptions to that rule, Jen. I think there's a few things that didn't need to be adapted, but we won't get into those. We are being optimistic (laughs) and excited on this episode. So um, Jen, what is your fourth item? Um, I'm a big fan of Black Thought too. That was a great pick. I, again, COVID pending, would like to start going back down to La Jolla. Um, I know you guys are familiar with the La Jolla Playhouse and how many shows have originated there. They have some exciting things coming up. And I hope anytime there's a new musical, I know how hard it is to get a new musical on the stage. So I really hope that some of these things coming up um, will happen. The first one being a new musical called Bangin' It, a bangin' new musical. And it looks like it is an Indian uh, musical. And I'm a big fan of Bollywood movies. So it's the world premiere supposed to take place in March. So fingers crossed that maybe I can get down there to see Bangin' It. That's fantastic. Yeah. La Jolla yes. is such a great, fertile uh, hotbed for new works starting out uh, and uh, uh, very excited to hear your thoughts on those. So for my fourth, I am actually going to return to something that I absolutely adored in 2018. In fact, uh, we are going to get a return production of the show that I thought was my favorite show of 2018, and that is Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the yes. Future. It written and starring Andrew R. Butler. It originally played off-Broadway at Ars Nova, um, and then 
after a while, it finally got a cast album, and now they are starting to have a uh, are starting to promote a return production at the space at Irondale. First previews are March second. It'll officially open on March fourteenth. Um, has just an incredible cast off Broadway, um, led by the remarkable Stacy Sargent as Bo Weathers. Um, it really, really was an amazing uh, production. And I'll just read the official press description to give you. What a crazy show this is. 250 years from now, constructed humans are built in black market labs. Mars is a forced labor camp and underground outlaws are brewing rebellion. You might not remember how Bo Weathers and her band of illegal intelligences fought for the right to exist, but Rags Parkland does. Back on Earth for the first time in 10 years, Rags plays the music that carried us to where we are today. But on this planet, the more things change the more we stay the same. It was one of the most fascinating and uh, captivating things I've seen in a long, long time. And while I thoroughly enjoy the cast album, uh, I don't think that it does it justice um, for how remarkable of a show this is. So I highly recommend Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future. Um, it is such a, a great score, a very folk-driven score, despite the fact that it's set 250 years in the future. It sounds like modern-ish to even um, folk music from you know the decades ago so um i highly highly recommend you get uh, a chance to see that and check out the cast album that is available now i believe from broadway records um uh, so you can so you can hear exactly what that show is yes absolutely all right so jenna we are on number five so why don't you wrap up what you have in store as your last and i'm sure certainly not least selection uh well i hope it's not least then it's this is a lot more general. This is not about a specific production or anything. This is more uh, something I'm really hoping for in 2022. Uh, I'm hoping to see some real institutional change in the theater industry overall. And, you know, I will fully acknowledge it's naive of me, but I want to see producers who respect their workers reach Scott Rudin levels of power. Um, I want the Broadway League to show respect to understudies and to put safety over profits. And that goes against everything capitalism stands for. So good luck with that. I know. But we are already seeing it. I mean, just the other day, Jeremy O'Harris wrote on Twitter that the return engagement of slave play on Broadway, quote, this is these are his words, quote, gave the cast the option slash requirement to take weekly mental health days to allow their understudies to go on and give them a break from the largeness of the theater and the emotions of the play, end quote. And I understand this would be very challenging for some productions to do, but even the recent Hello, Dolly! revival scheduled a two-time Tony winner to go on for the leading role when its star needed a break. So it can be done. It should be done regularly before the great resignation reaches the theater industry. I mean, remember, people who love their jobs deserve to be paid fairly and treated with respect as well. Uh, I'm also hoping the different leagues and guilds and unions will find ways to balance profit with improving accessibility to the theater. And I'm using accessibility in its broadest sense here. Uh, it, the industry can't survive if it is only available to a limited number of people. Ticket prices need to be achievable 
by people earning minimum wage. Uh, professional recordings should be planned and budgeted and scheduled early in a run, whether it's for archival reasons or for public purchase. Uh, there need to be more seats available to audience members in wheelchairs and more performances with supertitles or audio descriptions. The, the pandemic demonstrated how untenable our way of doing business, including show business, has been. We have a chance to make some real changes. Technology is driving new possibilities in theater, and we can take advantage of those possibilities and, and abilities to expand accessibility for everyone. So those are two things I am really hoping are much better by December 31st, 2022. Uh, from your mouth to Sondheim's ears, that would be wonderful if we could see some of these things that so many in our industry have been pushing for, especially over the past two years, but in many, many cases, far longer than that. Um, it would be nice if we can finally see some of those changes happening. And I think we are starting to see for the first time, at least in my decade of working in theater, um, we're starting to see some movement. It is incremental and it is far slower uh, and more glacially paced than I think many of us would like. But for the first time, it actually feels like substantive change. And while it is not nearly where it should be or where we would like it to be, progress is a good thing. And hopefully it's one of those uh, types of progresses that starts slow and turns into you know, a snowball rolling downhill and then eventually an avalanche where we can see uh, huge change in a short amount of time because of the work of some few people making a difference at the start. So thank you so much for that, Jen. I, I love that. Jen, um, big shoes to fill on that last one. Uh, do you have something as big and grand as, as Jenna's final thing to look forward to? It is hard to follow that. It was like a sermon that I wanted to get up and cheer. <laughs> amen. Send an beautiful, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful sentiment. Um, along the same lines, I would, I would hope that people would start really um, going to smaller theaters. Out here, we have yes. a big 99-seat theater um, community. And a lot of the things you get to see on Broadway start here or in small theaters across the country. And these are the theaters that really need the help because, you know, these are either union actors that are working under the radar or non-union actors, and they need the support and the exposure. Um, I work with a small theater here in, in LA called The Rogue Machine, and we've we've churned out some real winners, such as Small Engine Repair and mm -hmm. One Night in Miami, both originated at our theater. And there's some real good stuff, and but we need butts in the seats to make them happen. Um, currently, they're showing a one-man show called This Wonderful Life, and they really give exposure to playwrights who um, we, they, love, they love to premiere new work there. So um, not just here in L.A., but all over the country, even in New York um, or at the outskirts of New York, go support the smaller theaters as well as Broadway, because it's not just Broadway that's struggling. I love that's that. Yes, this is me jumping to my feet and clapping. <laughs> Thank you for that, Jen. That is wonderful. Well, and and what's interesting is is I just I don't think that I knew small engine repair started there. I knew about one night in Miami, but I uh, just ordered the script um, for that one. So I guess if I have any questions about it, I will know exactly who to contact. Yes, a big shout out to my good, good friend John Polano. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right. So you two went kind of broader. I am going to the exact opposite extreme and I'm going very personal 
with this last one. If you follow me on social media, and I think I've even mentioned it on some of our other uh, podcasts here on Broadway Radio, um, you might know that I am, after uh, eight years of working, I am fine, you know, being busy with that. I am finally dipping my toe back in the actual theater making life that I once had. Um, I will be uh, co-directing and co-producing, and I guess production managing, a show at the 31st annual Orlando International Fringe Festival. Um, this is the longest continuously running Fringe Festival in North America. Um, and it is a show, it's a new musical called The Lady Juliana, which is written by my co-director, Elaine uh, Cotignola, um, who has previously won Best of Fringe with a previous musical called Seasons. Um, she and I have been uh, friends for about seven years, and we've kind of been playing around with getting this on its feet for just as long. Um, we did a previous concert version here in Orlando back in 2015 or 16. I can't remember exactly. She's had a few couple workshop productions in Australia and York, England, um, mainly because the show is set on a boat that is taking um, real life women who actually lived in the late 17, early 1800s um, who were convicted of crimes in England down to Australia to help populate uh, Australia as a penal colony. Every person in this show is a real human being. And while we, of course, like Lin-Manuel Miranda did, take some artistic license here and there, it is primarily um, their true stories um, uh, about what they went through on the boat and afterwards. Um, we just finished auditions and we have cast the show. In fact, before I jumped on to record with you two, Elaine and I were going over contracts. Um, we are very, very excited about the cast we put together. We're very excited about the staff, the designers that we put together. Um, and while this is a fringe festival, um, this will be a fully staged production. Um, and we are very, very excited about that. So um, we are hoping that this is not the end of this show's future and we can take it to other places, either in Florida, around the world, and, and hopefully even New York uh, after this run. But this will be the first um, fully staged run of the show. And we could not be more excited. I think the, the work that Elaine has done on this show is um, exemplary and we are honing and tweaking things as we speak. So um, if you are in the Central Florida area or would like to come to the Central Florida area, um, the show will run at various dates from May 17th through the 30th at the Orlando Shakes, uh, Shakespeare Center um, in the Orange Venue. We don't exactly know what dates yet. We won't know that until March, but very, very excited to be a part of what is official, you know, effectively the world premiere of the Lady Juliana. So um, very excited to have that out in the world. Yes. Wonderful. Awesome. So um, before we end, uh, I, we did want to mention we are recording this on New Year's Eve and just uh, less than an hour before we started recording, we all heard the sad news that one of the literal icons of the 20th and 21st centuries, Betty White, passed away. Um, she is, of course, known um, for all of her uh, of her work on on screens, but she has um, been such a light and a joy for so many people for decades and generations. Jen, you are kind of our TV expert um, on the pod right now. What are your thoughts uh, uh, upon hearing about the passing of Betty White at the age of 99? I mean, everyone knew it was coming, and yet you were hoping that it was never going to happen. Uh, 99 years and 49 weeks is hardly something to 
be sad about, but um, I think she could be considered the first lady of television. You know, she's 100%. been around since its, its inception. She's been on shows for every generation. She's been in movies. Like there isn't a person of any generation that doesn't know who she is. And everyone knows her for something different. And the second you say, oh, I love Golden Girls, someone will say, oh, you got to watch her on Mary Tyler Moore. Or, oh, you got to see her in The Proposal. So it, it's just, a, it's a hard day for those in in uh, television land because she's, you know, one of the originators. So um, I was watching a Golden Girls episode a few weeks ago and she was sitting around with the other three and says, the one thing that's hard about getting older is that at one point, there's only going to be one of us left. And I thought that was very, very uh, tough to watch. And then, and now she's gone. So that's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. Jenna, what about you? Oh, I mean, I, I can't follow that. Uh, that was that was beautiful. But uh, I just saw a comment from oh, no, I'm blanking. I should try to find it on uh, Twitter again. But someone, some very wise person, posted, you know, you know, you've lived a good life if 99 years doesn't seem long enough. Mm. And yeah, I mean, she did such amazing work. She blazed trails on so many ways. I mean. She insisted back in the 50s, I think, she insisted on including uh, Black performers on her TV specials. And when censors said, well, this won't run in the South, she shrugged and said that it won't run in the South. And she spoke out. She did She did things. She did things and may we all do such good work. She was, you know, I saw an announcement from GLAAD about all her work for the LGBT plus community. And I remember episodes of the Golden Girls where you know, I have no idea how much creative input she had into that, but they were, you know, even as a kid, I was like, oh, I don't usually see this topic on TV. Um, you know, she did so much great work. And uh, I'm just very grateful that she lived for uh, 99 years. And how much did you say? 40, 48 weeks, did you say, Jen? Uh, January 17th, she would have been 100. 18 days. And I shared this with Jenna before we started recording. Um, uh, It's from a book called When Women Invented Television by Jennifer Keishan Armstrong. Um, And there's a story in there in which Betty White was uh, made an appearance in a test broadcast in 1939 on television two months before the unveiling of television at the World's Fair. So she literally was on television before anyone knew what television was. Um, and it's just truly remarkable. And, you know, you, you, we talked about Golden Girls and Mary Tyler Moore and the proposal and all these other things that she did of making appearances on Community. Um, but one of those things that kind of predated me, and I'm assuming both of you as well, um, I don't really remember or maybe wasn't even alive for a lot of her game show appearances. But if you ever want to go down a hilarious rabbit hole is find some of those on YouTube, some of the clips of her on Match Game and things like that. Um, absolutely hilarious. Um, and it also bears repeating that uh, Betty White did a ton of summer stock theater, even after her fame rose during Mary Tyler Moore. She did productions of Hello, Dolly. Um, I think often, and, and someone please cite me uh, um, if, if I need corrections here, I believe she did a lot of it, um, you know, a, a lot of things with her husband, uh, Alan Ludden, as well, um, who she often appeared on uh, on game shows with as well. Um, so just somebody who really kind of 
spanned the entertainment world for, you know, nearly three quarters of a century and someone whose loss will be felt by many, many people who either knew her personally or just loved seeing her uh, on screen. So, all right. Any parting thoughts for either of you before we wrap up this episode of This Week on Broadway, either about the year that was or the year that will be? May 2022 be better. May it be so much better. I mean, it can't get that much worse. I mean, I guess 2020. Don't tempt it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm what sorry. the hell? Knocking on wood. I'm knocking on wood. I apologize. I, I apologize. How long to next year? Three and a half minutes. Well, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. We very much appreciate you listening to us, even though we aren't the normal configuration uh, of James, Peter, Michael, et al., although Jenna appears on there far more than Jenna or I do. Um, you, of course, you can always reach out to Broadway Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. Again, you can find Jenna on Twitter at Jenna Tessa, J-E-N-A-T-E-S-S-E. You can find Jen uh, at Eponine, Q-E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can find me at B-W-W Matt. Um, we would love to hear what your your most anticipated things for the theatrical year of 2022 are. So please reach out to us on social media. We hope that you've had a wonderful holidays and a fantastic New Year's weekend. And we will be back to talk to you tomorrow on Today on Broadway. Last week I wanted just to disappear. My life was dust, but now it just may be a happy new year. A happy new year.